ops, and a little bit of paranoia. Welcome to the Iron Sysadmin Podcast. Welcome, folks. We're back. We're totally back from, God, it's been like two months since we recorded a show. Uh, we But here we are. I have all of the liquids off on this side of the desk and all the electronics on the other side of the desk because of the mishap last time. <laughs> mishap, our favorite military officer. Mishap. I thought like major malfunction or something was your favorite favorite military officer. Mishap is a little troublesome. Okay. As well. Okay. Anyway, hi folks. I'm Nate, your host, and I'm joined again by Mr. Uncle Mark over here. Say hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Hi, Mark. Not to be confused with the insurance company. No, the insurance company, and not to be confused with all the scenes from the room. Aha, Mark, it's Johnny. (laughs) Oh, look at that. Twitch kind of took a dump. Yeah, J-Scar's saying that too, but you know what? We're just going to have to roll with it at this point. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm going to blame your internet. Yeah. As long as the recording is good, we're good to go. All right. So we're back. We're sorry. Well, I shouldn't say we're sorry. We've taken a long time off. Uh, There's been lots of reasons for that. One was because I spilled a beer on the mixer. Although that that didn't really account for as much of it as you might think. Uh, But that happened at the beginning of our last show, right as we were about to go live. Uh, And that was you know, unfortunate, but I was able to fix the mixer that evening. But then we had a bunch of life things happen. Um, many of you know, and in fact, you probably heard because I put out a short update uh, a couple weeks ago now. Um, my mother-in-law who was sick passed away. So of course, you know, things mm-hmm. had to be taken care of and, you know, spend time with my wife and make sure she was okay. And whatever, we're back, right? And hopefully we're back strong. And, um, I did mention in that quick update that I put out, uh, as a result of the cancer battle that my mother-in-law went through, um, I want to take our Patreon funds and put them to the American Cancer Society. So from now till, uh, December, so that, so from July till December really is what I, what I, uh, what I plan to do. I'm going to take all the Patreon funds and they're going to go to the American Cancer Society right around Christmas time, right? Because coincidentally enough that was her birthday her birthday was right before mm. right after christmas so from now till then we're going to take all those patreon funds we're going to put them towards something you know useful now folks um if you are a patron of the show and for some reason do not want your money going there like you absolutely want it to go to the show or you want it to go to whatever just let me know and i will take your money out of there or let him know so, let him know with all that out of the way, drop him a friggin' email. We're gonna listen to Mark sing a little bit, and then we're gonna get to our main topic, which is somewhere in one of these tabs I had open. There it is. So many tabs. So many tabs is right. All right, so tonight on the show, we're gonna kind of get back to a little bit of basics, right? We haven't done like a a new or intro to sysadmin style topic in quite a while. And to be honest, I, I kind of want to fix that a little bit going forward. Uh, so this is kind of the first of those. There may be more. I don't know. Um, I, I was digging around through our archive, and just about a year ago we did a getting started episode. But honestly, for a show that calls itself the Iron Sys Admin, we probably do need to talk about what 
what does the role of of someone who works in IT, whether they're a sysadmin or something adjacent, what does that look like? You know? Yeah, right. So, uh, and and I don't want to make this a when I was young sort of show, right? But you know us. It's there's probably going to be a bit of that. Uh, but basically, mm. the the industry okay. has changed so much in the past couple decades, right? Um, systems administrators or systems operators from way back in the day, back in like the mainframe days, or I guess there there may have been something equivalent earlier to the, earlier than that. It was a totally different thing than it is today. So today we want to talk about like either if you're new to the industry, or even if you're if you're like already industry in the industry and you're wondering. Like, why do I not feel relevant anymore? We're going to try to cover some topics as to, like, what it looks like today to be a sysadmin. Or if you're trying to be a new sysadmin, what maybe you should learn, right? Right. Now, I'm going to play the disclaimer card for a moment here, right? Uh-huh. Technic, I can speak only about me. I have technically not been frontline IT industry since 2015, mm-hmm. right? Because that's when I transitioned from being a senior Linux engineer at Merck to my role of a technical account manager at Red Hat. And while I worked with frontline IT nerds and I've sort of watched them evolve, yeah. I personally haven't done like real sysadmin work, uh, my God, in seven years, right? It's funny, right? Like to think back. I haven't, I haven't been on. I haven't been on call for IT work in seven years. I'm not sorry. <laughs> so, but so so. If this, I feel like a Dickinsonian author begging forgiveness before the book starts. You know how they would sometimes yeah. beg forgiveness in case there's anything misrepresented. Yeah. So if what I, if you're working in IT now and anything I say does not ring true because I've been out of the game at that level for so long, I, I, I humbly beg forgiveness for that. Uh, it's, instead of begging forgiveness, I'm going to ask for feedback, right? So oh, the, feedback is good too. Similar, yeah. similar is true for me. I'm, I've been, I was a sysadmin a little more recently, although I was a sysadmin in higher ed. Things are a little different in higher ed than they are in like big business or whatever. So um, mm-hmm. It would have been great if uh, if we could have had Jason on too, because he's he's actually a little more a little closer to the industry than the two of us are at this point. Although, again, we both work with sysadmins, <laughs> right? You and I. Truth. So uh, I don't think we're that far removed. At any rate, okay. Let's get this show on the road. So get the show on the road. Let's see. So you just sound like ah. gold tonight. I'm telling you that. I'm gonna have to pick all yeah. these out. Of here. <laughs> So, you know, obviously the podcast, when did you start this lovely little podcast? Uh, 2016, was it? Right, 2016. Yeah, late 2016. So, so what I can tell you, so, so when I got my start as an honest-to-goodness sysadmin, that was in 2004. And that was having picked up some Linux by goofing around with it. I was working in desk-side support. And I was able to finagle a job on the Linux Unix team at Merck. And that's when the Unix, all the HPUX guys, they were the real sysadmins working with the real stuff. Yeah. And Linux at Merck at the time ran on like the pizza boxes, you know, the the one U servers and just did web. So I got to I got to come in with Linux as a 
true underdog and watched over the next four, you know, over the next call it a little more than a decade as it took over and became the top enterprise operating system. But to be honest, sysadmin work for that, the better part of that decade, the biggest transition with, with, with us at Merck was going from just hardware to virtualized servers that ran the same image Mm -hmm. and lived on big VMware hunks of metal. But the core job was, you know, install Linux, rebuild Linux servers that shat the bed too hard, help customers figure out why their stuff wasn't working and modify individual Linux servers or clusters of servers to, to, to fix that and do patching, right? So, so it was a very – the the workflow, the methodology was very similar to what our Unix friends had been doing for a decade before that. And honestly, if if I'm honest, as I, when I, my last day at Merck as a, as a Linux person, from a workflow procedure and from a scope procedure, didn't look crazy different than my first day as a Linux admin. You're I don't know wrong. if that's the case anymore. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably tend to agree with you. Things were starting to change when I left the college, right? But um, most IT organizations, when they have a formula that works, they stick with it, right? So a lot of IT transformation doesn't happen overnight, right? Right. And, and you know, you got Amazon and everything, which was starting to become popular, but what Merck did not do was lean into the unique Amazon stuff. What Merck did was try to take our virtualized server model and shove those onto the cloud as individual ECS systems. Yep. So you essentially had single points of failure on a less stable platform than <laughs> yeah. they had on VMware. Yes, yes. That was the yeah. common mistake that people made when they started moving to any uh, infrastructure as a service platform, um, whether it's EC2 or Azure or whatever, right? Uh, and yeah. commonly referred to as the lift and shift, right? Where you take your your relatively redundant and uh, fault tolerant deployment on prem and move it to the cloud because everyone says the cloud is cheaper and more resilient, but you do it wrong. <laughs> you move it wrong, which makes it yeah, which makes which it less makes resilient it and less tolerant, more more expensive and less resilient. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the big question, and I wish we had a whole bunch of people on the on the on the podcast right now. We don't. We have Jscar, who I love his opinions, but I guess the really big question is, you know, what's starting in the industry look like now, like. I read enough subreddits around IT around IT and IT jobs and stuff to sort of get a to sort of get a feel for it. But a lot of those are focused around uh, getting programming jobs, like learning how to do leak code mm-hmm. and learn and getting a developer position. I don't see as much people wanting to go right into sysadmin anymore. I think so. What do you think's going on there? I think that. Uh, you may not even realize it, but you hit the nail on the head. That So, first of all, being a sysadmin has never been the sexy IT career, right? For most sexy. people. Because it's... It's sexy. It's work. Okay, I'll never do <laughs> right? that again. Like, I don't, I don't want to imply that developers don't work. They obviously are very intelligent folks that do work. 
But what I mean is being a sysadmin is, you know, like your personal life gets interrupted. You're, uh, you're expected to respond to a lot more fires, right? You're expected to, 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 so, to like gear shift and switch to a different, uh, a different task quickly when there's a problem. Right. So, um, a lot of the, the cloud deployments and the software as a service and whatever, those are all meant to try to smooth that over by taking all of that IT work and taking it off of the shoulders of business and putting it onto the shoulders of cloud providers, right? So most people, mm -hmm. I say all that to get to this one point, I would, I would wager that that means that most people looking to get into quote-unquote IT are not looking to get into IT because they have mad bash skills. They're looking to get into IT because they can write playbooks, they can do automation, they can write code, they can deploy things on a cloud provider. Um, now, that's not to say there's no more need for Linux sysadmins, but I think uh, what I'm saying is that role has changed quite a bit. Yeah, and, and to your point about developer versus sysadmin, one of my directors at Merck, uh, John Zettler, I'm just name dropping because maybe maybe he's now immortalized. He made an excellent point even back in in the in the early 2000s. You know, IT computing platforms, a lot of people look at them as utilities. Nobody thinks about the power company or the cable company or the water company until that basic service stops working. Mm -hmm. Then you pay attention, whereas developers are the ones creating the product and and their work is, you know, visible to, 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 to end users and external customers. So dare I say there's a little more public recognition and glory to that. Yeah. Where the, where, whereas in IT, a lot of public recognition usually was the negative kind, like, oh, crap, the systems are down again. Yeah. Can't these yeah. stupid people well, keep the systems running? I mean, there's there's an analogy in just about every industry, right? Nobody nobody knows the name of the sound guy. They know the name of the lead singer. No one knows mm. the name of the cable engineer that, that brings you cable TV. They know the name of the news anchor or, you know, the celebrity they're watching, uh, right? right. Nobody, nobody cares about the sysadmin because he's the guy in the background. And to be honest... Most of us like it that way, <laughs> right? We don't want to be in front of people. We don't really want, to want true, that, that true. role. It's the same probably goes for sound guys and for cable engineers, right? They don't want the limelight. They want the, the thing they're interested in is infrastructure. The thing they're interested in is providing a service. That's what got me into it in the first place is I like providing right. that infrastructure. And I, I took pride in it being stable, right? But, so, solving the problems that let you get it to a point where it right. was a rock. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, so those are some good thoughts, right? So, to get started in IT nowadays, like, like, what do you think it looks like? Can you do it off the street anymore? I really, or is it now? You know, do we need education? Do we need certs? So the the thing is, it always required a passion, and it always required. Uh, the ability to learn a thing, right? Um, so, quote-unquote, off the street, if, if, if it's like, can I walk in and start working in IT, 
Well, I, that's never been the true. The, the, that's never been true. But what you, I think what you're trying to say is, can you do those things as a hobby? Can you do those things for passion and make it a career? And I think that that is still true for at least some aspects of IT. Uh, certification is important to the HR director, right? <laughs> the person that's doing the hiring, mm. the person that's trying to screen resumes and whatever. But there's still a lot of small IT places, small places, small startups, whatever, who don't care about the certifications. They care about the results, right? Because Right. And maybe certification in our industry kind of fills the role of that high school or college diploma. Yeah. Like nobody gives a crap after you've landed your first job. And, and I hate I'm sorry if anybody is shocked by this. No one gives a crap what college you went to. Once you've got oh, yeah. a couple, you know, a year or two under your belt yeah. actually working. Yeah. Like they might care in the sense of, oh, sports ball. We love the same team. But no one is going to give a crap what you school, what what grade you got in that math class or or, or any of that nonsense with yeah, very I, rare exceptions. I, right. I had already my career in I.T. had started two weeks after I started college. And to yeah. be honest, I don't think the degree that I earned has much to do with where I am now, right? I think the fact that I was working, the fact that I was showing that I had skills, the fact that I was doing things later that I had certifications is really what got me where I am now, right? So, but but again, this isn't today. This, this was, my God, almost 30 years ago. That makes me feel old. <laughs> it was like 25 years ago. <laughs> but um, today, I... I don't know. I, I feel like there's probably more weight put on certification than there was then. And part of that is going to be because if the job is becoming more specialized, and I believe that it is, right? So, you, like, you can't, you can't expect Joe Frontline to already have experience with some of the technologies that uh, businesses are using today because they don't have the wallet for it. Mm. So to do that, you get sort of, you get certified on it instead, which means you must have somehow gotten a hold of the stuff. You must have learned it well enough to pass the exam and now you're certified, right? Where, you yeah. know, if, if I was, a, if I was a 16 year old kid applying for a job as an Oracle admin, you'd be like, well, how did you get your hands on Oracle? There ain't no way you bought it. <laughs> Well, yeah, they're they're clearly well. Oh, at Oracle Enterprise Linux, technically you could get for free, but no, I meant the database pieces. No, I meant like you'd have to. That, that's just like that's just my go-to example, right? Maybe it's Novell back in the day, right? Yeah. Novell wasn't a thing that you could go and get to learn not easily, especially back not in the, legally, right? Not not back in the nineties when I was learning it, because that was actually a problem it, that my that my that that other students at the college were running into. It was like, we're learning and, Novell, but none of us have, have the ability to, to test it at home. And if you did find someone who was willing to copy it for you, you needed probably $60 worth of floppy disks. Because <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> Novell came on a lot of disks. I remember it on five and a quarter inch diskettes. Oh, my God. My dad God. was a Novell certified engineer. Yeah. And it was like it was like this box that was like yo long. Yeah. Filled with floppies one after the other. Oh my god. OS2 warp was the first operating system I can remember 
taking more than six to ten floppies. That took mm. like twenty four. Were, <laughs> were those the uh, were those the three and a half, or were those the five and a quarters? They were three and a half. Yeah. She was chonky. But the the cool thing about OS2 Warp, and now we're getting off topic already, but hey, this is Iron Scissorman, folks. Uh, The cool thing about OS2 Warp is when you installed it, uh, you could then, if you had a stack of floppies, you could could run a utility that came with it that made new copies of those floppy disks for you. So pirating it, pirating it was insanely simple. You just... Run the tool, pop yeah. in floppies you don't ask for, hand them to your friend. <laughs> the dirt, the dirty secret is no one actually wanted to run it, so it didn't matter. That's true. Um, That's true. Even after I got a copy, I ran it for like a week or two just because I was curious, and then I went back to Windows I tried. 11. <laughs> I tried. It was a complete failure. Yeah. All right. So some classic roles in IT. How have they changed? Help desk. Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about this one myself, right? So what does help desk look like today? Um, so when you hear help desk, I, I don't know what you think of, but I think of as some poor sucker it, with wearing a headset with a queue of calls yep. backed up, yep. whether they're internal company calls, whether they're Dave from AT&T support. Yep. Uh, and, and for higher, if you're, if you're higher level help desk, maybe you're not on those calls all the time, but there's definitely tickets that are coming in that you need to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm imagining uh, a call center, which is pretty much what you just said. Yeah, nine pretty much call center. I cut my teeth in a call center. Mm-hmm. Me too. It wasn't my it wasn't my first IT job, but it was my first IT job for a grown up company, micro warehouse. Yeah. Yeah, I worked at an ISP, so uh, I did dial up tech support, right? Well, for dial up internet service, I should say. Uh, and if you want to talk about hell, it's uh, trying to have somebody call you on the phone line that they are also trying to connect to the internet with because they don't want to pay money for a second phone line to get on the internet. Yikes. It's always yeah. like, okay, okay, change these three settings, try it, call back. Oh, you're back? Right. Uh, change these four settings, try it, call back. <laughs> it's painful. Painful. <laughs> I... Yeah, that that sounds like a special kind of hell. Oh, yeah, it was hell. But uh, anyway, so when I started in Help Desk, it was very much a free thinker's world. And I don't know if it was like that everywhere, but at the place I was at, the people that work in Help Desk were smart people that were starting their career, right? They were being paid to think through problems and find solutions, right? I spent five years, I think, there. In that five years, it slowly but surely turned into problem X has called in, solution Y should be given. Right? Right. There there was no, it was a lot. And if you tried to go outside of those routines, they would actually reprimand you. Right? Right. Because a lot of it is about metrics. A lot of it is about help desk more than many other IT careers is obviously something that companies will begrudgingly supply. Right. And they will. And, and I don't think this has changed much because it's entry level, because it's not something people do long term. I, there, there's always this attitude of like, well, if, if they quit, we'll get someone else. Yeah. Like there's a pot, there's a pile of applications that we can pull from. And there's, 
when they burn out. There's there's a couple of things at play there, I think. One of them is that, like me, nobody really wants to do level one tech support anymore. Because... Not long term. Because yeah. it sucks. It does suck. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> nobody wants to even do when it. You're, even when you're good at it, and I, I'm not... I'm going to hashtag humble prag. I was really good at it. Yeah, so was I. But what happened is because I was really good at it, I got promoted out of it fairly quickly. But you could tell there were people at Micro Warehouse who were just languishing, yeah, I, you know, doing tech support calls. I, uh, please just kill me. <laughs> I was good at it. And I firmly believe that because I was good at it, they didn't want me to be promoted out of it. It was, it was one of those places well, where it was like, your career path is what we say it is. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, why I don't work there anymore? Because it's the closest tech place to where I live now. Obviously, working at Red Hat is a lot closer because you work at Red Hat from anywhere. But uh, in the days when remote work wasn't a thing, uh, the ISP I worked at was literally a twenty-minute drive from my house, and that's the only technology job you could get in the area. So it would have been perfect to stay there, except that it sucked. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so, but, uh, you know, I did a quick Google while we were talking and help desk jobs, a lot of them pop. They're not great paying. No, I wouldn't expect them to be because they're supposed to be entry but level. At least I, as far as I know, bunch they're of, supposed to be entry level. So which like, is almost right, you know, a shame, right? Because yeah. how many people do you know that have that help desk horror story as a customer? I've got one from just a few days ago because my Sirius XM... Uh, online streaming thing doesn't work. It still isn't fixed. Like, I think I know the problem, and I can't get through to them and to tell them, "Hey, I think this is this is the problem. Can you fix it?" Because you do that, and they're like, "Oh, uh, have you tried resetting your password?" Yes, I tried resetting my password. Have you tried clearing your browser cache? I tried three browsers on two computers. Have you tried reinstalling the app on your phone? Yes, I've tried that on three different devices. Can you please just look at my account? I think my account is broken. So anyway, <laughs> it's um, it's frustrating to call a help desk today, in my opinion, because there's not a lot of not enough resources put into help desks. Everybody wants to make the calls as short as possible. Everybody wants to replace people with bots. Uh, they yeah. want to make the cost of help desk lower. The problem is they're they're costing you, uh, they're costing their customers in frustration, which kind of sucks. Um, and but some of them don't care, you know. Sure, but so all that to say, I think that really that is the difference in help desk today. Um, if you were to get into help desk, I don't know if it's the same entry level position that it used to be. Like it used to be, you started in help desk, you proved your worth, and you moved up, like you did, right? Or me, I started in help now, desk, I got a bunch now, a bunch of experience under my belt, and that looked good on my resume for the next thing I applied for. Well, and, and that's and I want to make that clear. When I say I moved up, I went from just Mac tech support to I did then Windows tech support because they realized they knew it. And then I was like a senior level who did both Mac and PC. Mm. Um, I called myself. It was very unpo it's very unpolitically correct right now, but I, I used to crack myself up. I called myself bitextual. Right. <laughs> And then I and then I was a product trainer where as new people came in, both sales and support, me and my buddy Angelo would train them on the different technologies. Mm -hmm. I was the Mac trainer. He was the, the PC trainer. And then I had a few manager roles and then I was laid off. Right. 
But but the experience there, I was never going to become a sysadmin there, probably. But the experience there got me into Merc. Right. Where I then did I did more I did more a grow a more grown up version of help desk, which was desk side support. The people who would go out to the customers and touch the computers and try to help fix them. And that be, having the hardware there to play with and having some extra hardware led me to my Linux journey because I installed Linux on some old hardware as well as my one laptop. So we have, which then led to Linux. We have a comment in chat from Mark with a K says end user and desktop support is often added into the sysadmin umbrella until you can get into a bigger IT department. That's not untrue. I've seen that. I've seen lots. Of, I have not worked. I've not worked at a company where that's the case, but I believe it. Yeah. Cause I most of the companies I've worked at have been bigger. Yeah. So, uh, frontline support and systems administration. I don't know if it's still true, but there was a time when there was definitely a crossover of skill sets, right? So a lot of companies would, and perhaps still do, leverage their systems administrators or network administrators as frontline support as well. Now, the closest we got to that, I think, was at the college. We had what they called desktop engineers, which were sort of a blend between like second or third level support and um, well, engineers, right? Where they, they helped sort of design the desktop that was being deployed and how it was, how it was deployed and how they were managed and all that stuff. Right. Which a lot of times is also the job of a systems administrator, right? There it wasn't because the, the quote unquote systems administrators were mostly Unix and Linux admins. So, so I think it's safe to say that someone who's brandy new and wants to get into IT in some way, shape, or form, that some sort of end user support, some sort of help desk role is still is still, you know, applicable. Some of the some of my my future son-in-law is technically sort of doing that role at a more mature level. Yeah. And I think he's been recently promoted. Uh one of our gamer buddies is basically doing this form of support for printers at the company he's at. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to drop too many names. Right. Yeah. But, and, and, and both of them, you know, look, are looking or talk about, you know, what their next steps might look like. And I'm like, come to red hat. Yeah. But right. So, so I think we can agree that there, that, that the entry level help desk, it, it looks different today. It's different technologies, but I think it's still, it's still something that is, is a step in point yeah. um, for folk. I think that if I were talking to someone who's trying to break into IT uh, and they're asking me, is help desk a viable solution to do that? I think I would probably advise them to figure out how that particular company does help desk. Do they do it Mm. from this isolated call center? Or do they do it in a way that you're part of their team and you're not as as uh, isolated, right? Because yeah, even at that ISP I worked at, I was able to make connections with people, right? People outside right. of the outside of the 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 call center, and I don't just mean the customer service people on the other side of the wall. I mean like the network people, the systems administrators. The, the hell, the guy that ran the company, you might run into him in the hallway, right? Not right. that he's going to talk to you, because 
that was that kind of place. Yeah, because you're a peon. Yeah. yeah. But um, when I was at the college, right, those connections could have easily led to a new career path because it was a different sort of place, right? But if you're in some call center that's locked away off-site, then you never meet any of the other people that you work with, and you're just a name on a ticket or a number on a ticket, I don't know that it's anything more of a doorway for you than, you know, like if you were in the call center at Best Buy. <laughs> I Right. So, so what that'll do, ideally, if you're embedded in a company... You've, you that will get that will get you some mobility into that company right if you're if you're a third party service provider you know outsource support for something yeah that's going to be a different story but at, your experience will be used more to help you with your search for your next job right. and I think this is the point in your career where job hopping and looking for new opportunities that's where you're going to want to be doing it yeah. No one wants to camp doing help desk forever. Speaking of that, how much, what's our clock? Because I feel like we've been camping on the help desk topic forever. <laughs> but it is a good break. Like for people who want to know, how do I get into IT? Yeah. I would argue it's still a valuable way to do it. Given... It's changed somewhat, but it's still, it's still kind of like where a lot of people start. Yeah, given, given the missed start, um, we're probably about 30 minutes in on the main topic. Okay, cool. So I, I I dropped three other roles in here, and I'm going to say them all at once, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's classic sysadmin, and that's, I think, what we've told when we When you and I say sysadmin, that's what we think about. Yeah. There's legacy admin, which would be guys who are probably dead or close to retiring. Yeah. They're the ones who do, like, the old school Unix. And prior to that, like, your mainframe folk, your COBOL folk, like there's still a need for that in the industry, but that is working in those roles, especially if you're newer, could be tough to break into. Yeah. And then I just kind of made it a funny word, DevSec biz cheese ops, you know, yeah. because it, 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 it was like, uh, what, DevSec ops. And now well, some was, people are doing DevSec biz it was, or DevOps, it was right? DevOps, then DevSec ops. Yeah. And those aren't necessarily the same roles. It's just sort of a evolution perhaps or maybe different uh different ways that the role is is used or deployed right. employed um, and i think so and the role i think has pivoted a little bit because we also have had different technologies right that have influenced the way it careers work you know we, we you talked about novell right novell was like one of the original pc-based networking systems oh yeah if you were going to be a network sysadmin, you had to know Novell. That was it. That was like the choice. But so your big iron x86 stuff basically was Novell and other legacy crap, which kind of migrated to Windows for a while. And then Linux won that fight. But those 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 techs all kind of served that same space. Servers in your data center that ran something for your stuff going on in your company, probably in the same physical location or if not in the same physical location, across a private WAN. But now you got things like cloud-based tech. And cloud-based tech is basically computers that somebody else runs for you. <laughs> and you don't worry about the hardware. You don't worry about the physical data center. You set up instances that you can access remotely. But you can either use pre-built images or build your own. 
But then that kind of evolved into the idea of software as a service, which is like, imagine if Netflix, you know, Netflix is software as a service, right? Mm-hmm. But your company instead is using something like Salesforce or Workday or yeah. some boring thing yeah. or software as components, like where where a provider like Amazon has little components that you can yeah. build applications out of. Microservices. You know, the, the, that that shift right there, software as a service and software as components, that's like a pretty big shift away from the way you and I do did sysadmin. Yeah, yeah. So you ran through a whole bunch there. Um, <clears throat> on the classic sysadmin slash legacy admin, because in my head, those two lump together at least a little bit. Although mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a legacy sysadmin. I you and I never were like right? Because we're both classic. Yeah, we never. I never did HBUX. You never did. Never did mainframe. Yeah, I, never I had friends. Whatever. Right. Yeah. I had friends at Merck who did, and they were older and but, grumpier than me, if you can believe that. But I think what we're seeing today is legacy admins are the folks that are. I don't want to say they're in high demand, but they're in high pay because there's not as many of them anymore, right? Like, and we can't get rid of the technologies that they right, maintain. Right. We want to get rid of the mainframe, but a lot of companies still haven't gotten rid of the mainframe. And, and nobody's really teaching it, right? So that's everyone's yeah. teaching the new hotness. Because face it, if you're a young person learning IT, you don't want to learn the old technologies. You want to learn the stuff that's going to get you 20 or 30 years and get you set up for Not whatever the hell's really coming weird. next, right? However, that could mean that there's a hot market for legacy sysadmins right now. I'm not saying you should go out and learn mainframe, but it might not be a bad idea to at least be familiar with them, touch them, right? But, um, but what I what I think I was leaning or leading to is that classic sysadmin is slowly becoming what legacy admin is today. I think that the classic sysadmin, the guy who sits in his office at his terminal and manually does things to make things work. The guy who manages on-premise data centers, the man, the guy who like racks and stacks servers. I think that role is going away. Maybe not away, away. I think it's shrinking to the point where those guys are mutating those folks. I shouldn't say guys. Cause that's kind of a loaded term. Nerds. Those nerds are going to be primarily working at Colos and cloud providers. Because I think there's going to be a day when even the most stubborn IT departments that will not let go of their physical servers are going to be, they're going to be forced into it either by upper management or by the way the technology is going, right? Because I noticed when I was a sysadmin, that things that I needed to deploy were getting a lot more complicated. Not that they weren't complicated before, but they were like this new level of complicated where you... A different form of complicated. You you couldn't just be good at Linux. You couldn't just be good at platform. You almost had to be at least familiar with software development to not just know how to deploy these things, but to know how to support them, right? So... um, and that's not true for every single thing, but it's a trend I started noticing when I was still a sysadmin. And it was a thing I was starting to think about, how am I going to deal with this? And then, of course, the role at Red Hat came up, 
And I don't want to say I punted that, but I shifted my career, right? So it's not really as big a deal. And that's kind of what happens to folks like us, right? The, the, the grunt work becomes different, and we either have to adapt or change trajectory. And I changed, changed trajectory. That's a hard word for me to say. So did you, right? Mm. So anyway, we're not really talking about getting into the field at this point. But it, it is relevant to what does the field look like today. And I think that a... A background in programming, or at least scripting and automation, is essential for a sysadmin nowadays. Right, because I think what you're going to see is sysadmins are, we've always been sort of about how to integrate things together, but even more so. Like, how do you, how do you use APIs, which is essentially a form of programming, you know, to have like different parts of your infrastructure talk to each other? You know, it's right. not just about install Linux, install yeah. some packages, install and configure Apache and hand it over to the web people. It's more like, oh, we've got these software components and, you know, we've got these container-based applications that need to be set up and communicate with each other and, and this and that and the other thing. You're expected as a sysadmin to, to, to sort of grok that stuff. Right, and that in itself is kind of like programming, right? I mean, uh, interacting with an API isn't the same it's, as sitting down on a command line, although there are similarities to it, right? Yeah, command lines are easier because I have uh, I, I struggle with APIs sometimes. Well, like, command lines are designed to be human parsable, right? Yeah. And it, to some extent, APIs are, but they return like this big blob of data. Sometimes, sometimes it's data, sometimes it's JSON, sometimes it's XML, whatever, right? Ugh. But it's not the sort of thing that you can easily just eyeball and read through, right? I can. There, there are people who can. There are but yeah, people who can. But it's yes. a different, but it, but to, yeah, but it's a different skill set. So, you know, one of the things that towards the end of my time at Merck, one of my fellow Linux nerds and I worked together on the routine to take a, 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 vm or physical machine on premise and convert it to an ecs instance and a lot of that was learning the api for for aws and writing scripts and stuff that would make those calls and then copy the data and things like that and that was like you know you talk about infrastructure as code and, and that was basically it you know infrastructure as code if you if if people listening have never heard that term that basically says Rather than buying a piece of physical hardware or setting up a virtual machine manually, you just you have a series of commands that you send at some master control device that actually manages that layer, and that sets up your server for you as mm -hmm. as essentially a piece of software. Yeah, and and more and more, you know, your sysadmins have mutated into the better you understand those concepts. And the more you can use API calls and automation uh, to, to, to create systems and groups of systems, I think those are the types of skills that are more in demand nowadays rather than, oh, I know how to compile an RPM from source code. Yeah. Yeah, that's getting to be less. I shouldn't say less in demand, but it's not it's not what it used to be. Right. It, it's not compiling an RPM from source code is pretty much not in demand at all, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Used to be a thing you needed to do. 
When did you last compile a kernel for a for for like a business purpose? For me, that was early Merc. Oh yeah, I would say it's it's definitely it's been a while since I've I've done something like that. That's for sure. All right, so we've gone all about the bush here. <laughs> yeah. I think we've covered the topic, folks. I'd I'd love to hear. Well, first of all, Mark, do you have any last thoughts about? this particular topic before we move on. Right. So we're in a world where more and more things are components that need to be able to talk to each other. People expect to be able to run their companies from a mobile device. Yeah. And have the same functionality as we used to have with, with, you know, big computers and stuff. And people expect things to work and work quickly, which requires mastering stuff like automation, mastering things like, you know, high availability and clustering and, building resilient stuff there. A lot of that stuff, everything old is new again, right? Some of those texts as, as um, concepts have been around since the mainframe days, but they present differently now Yeah, in today's in, in the world. Yeah, so and, and that, that's probably actually a really good point, right? A lot of the concepts that made, sysadmining or legacy sysadmining or systems operating what they were are still relevant today but all of the technologies and the words and the the things you need to learn around them they're all different very different they've shifted yeah they, they certainly have shifted and so if you're if you're in it if you're wondering what working in it is like because you are interested in being in it um yeah you're not it, it's not just taking care of a bunch of systems and, and you know, solving error messages. It's a lot more about integrating all sorts of components together, some that are across the planet from you, and making that stuff all work. Yeah. Even though you're – and it's a lot closer to programming, honestly, than it's ever been. Yeah, I think it's getting there. And to be honest, calling it programming is a bit vague. Um yeah, it, it's okay. a similarity. I'll give it that. It's a similarity, but I don't want to say that sysadmins need to be programmers because I'm not saying that sysadmins should go out and learn, I don't know, whatever the hell the latest and greatest uh, Rust. Is that the thing people are learning now? I don't know. I think it is. <laughs> uh, that may or may not help you as a sysadmin, but Python will, Ansible will, uh, Puppet or Chef or some automation language, Terraform, um, the ability to interact with APIs on Amazon and like container platforms. Um, those are all going to be really useful for, for anyone yeah. who expects to be in a systems role today because they're not what they used to be. It used to be you could be a sysadmin without a lick of programming ability, like scripting. If you could script, you were like at the top of the stack. <laughs> I was a pretty, I was a pretty solid sysadmin and I was still a pretty crappy scripter. I leaned on other people for that. Yeah, right. But yeah, so. but you, you, you'll yeah. But learning learning automation tools, which I argue are a form of programming, because a program is a series of instructions yeah. telling a computer how to do yeah, something. But the 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 point I was trying handy. to make is that they aren't the same languages that you would learn as a programmer no, or a developer, right? That's that's all I was trying to say. Truth, which seems obvious to folks like you and I, but to someone who's brand new in the industry. 
who's like, oh, those sysadmins guys told me that I should I should learn to program, and they go out and learn a programming language, and they're like, this isn't helping me at all. Why'd they tell me to do this? That's that's the distinction that's I'm trying to make. That that's why it was always learn scripting because yeah. that's different enough, and now it's learn automation. Yeah, automation is kind of the, learn, the new scripting. Learn automation has taken the rollover, and when we say automation, because we're from Red Hat, we we mean Ansible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean even. And maybe it's because we're so steeped in the Kool-Aid, but Ansible really is a, a good <laughs> a good automation no, it's, platform, it, I think. It's excellent. I'm I'm not even sure I'm what not, else is out there in the market right now. <laughs> I'm not even I'm not even good at it, and I know it's it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Good stuff. All right. So I think what I would like to do is maybe revisit some of these topics. Um you talked about software as a service and platform as a service and infrastructure as a service and things like that. Um, I think in the back of my head, I'd like to do shows where we talk about those a little more in depth, or maybe we'll go over an overview of like what the different things are and then, mm-hmm. and then touch on some of them more in depth. Folks, if, if you're interested in hearing us uh, talk about those things, let us know. Um, I always... Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> Drop a note in chat. I always or on the comment uh, section because you're listening. Yep. I always worry that we're gonna cover a topic that's not deep enough. And to be honest, I think some of our content is maybe even deep enough that some listeners get lost in it, right? So that that they they don't really get any value out of it. So. I'd like to try to do a better job of encompassing that stuff better. So uh, I'd love to hear from you guys, you know, or even if there's topics you're you're curious about that you think we could talk about, let us know. Word. Mark's not going to sing again because he just did that one. He's not going to. He's not going to. I just did. The same one. All right. Well, so I, I, it, but I'm. Tr- uh, it's very hard. I'm kind of holding it in. You're like, I, uh, so we better go to the transition quick. We better go quick. All right. So, folks, we're going to drop to a break. If uh, if you're listening to this show audio only, this is the end of part A. We're going to cover the news and some chat and stuff in part B. So a you should go check is that for out. Ansible. A is for B Ansible. B is for Bash. Mark has been programmed well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you don't listen to Part B, then thank you for listening to Part A. If you want to follow us on the socials, go look up the Iron System and Podcast. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash Iron System Iron System and Podcast it is, right? My God, I'm so rusty. I, I Use the Google. It'll bring you there. Yeah, it's in the show notes. Go look in the show notes. Or look in the show notes. Yeah, the show notes have all the stuff. All right, Our we're going to go to a break. Lazy. They'll look in the show notes. We will be back momentarily. We're going to push the button, Frank. See you in a few. Peace. <laughs>